0: Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place. Even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. I am so delighted to welcome all you listeners from all over the world, including USA, UK, Belgium, Australia, Mexico, and so many more countries. We want our community to grow, so please tell your friends. And show the love with a five-star rating. Thanks also for your continued support of my beautiful best-selling book, Fearless Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision. I love knowing that the stories are so meaningful to all of you. I must tell you that I'm a complete fangirl of our guest today. She has so many impressive accomplishments, numerous accolades. They're all so well-deserved. And She's an important voice in Canada. Here are a few highlights from the incredible bio of Nathalie Derosier. She's currently the principal of Massey College at the University of Toronto. She's a former member of provincial parliament for Ottawa Vanier. Prior to entering politics, she was dean of the faculty of law at the common law section at the University of Ottawa. She has received, as I mentioned, numerous and well-deserving accolades, including Order of Canada, Order of Ontario. She has an LLB from the Université de Montréal, an LLM from Harvard Law School. She's a member of the Royal Society of Canada, named one of Canada's 25 most influential lawyers in both 2011-2012, and more recently selected as the 2020 mentor with the prestigious Trudeau Foundation of which I am too. I'm so excited. Welcome to the show Natalie. Yes, it's a pleasure to be with you. So let's begin right away. Tell us about your current role as president of Massey College at the University of Toronto, why you took the job and why you love it. Well, it's it is the opportunity to reinvent
1: myself again, which I love to do, and to contribute to the future to uh, supporting young scholars. Massey College is a place for ideas. So it's a place where we support uh, graduate students and law students and medical students who are about to embark uh, and complete their degrees and embark on their new careers. And we surround them with, with love and with good mentorship. So it's a little bit like the Trudeau Foundation, but it is uh, interdisciplinary. So we have medical students and astrophysicists and mathematicians and music students. So it's quite an exciting place to be investing in the world of ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. And we need the world of ideas more than ever. We need all that brain power of those incredible young people. So, why do you love it so much?
1: Well, because it is the occasion to uh, be at the forefront of new ideas, I've Mm -hmm. always been curious and I always like to (laughs) learn. So uh, universities are the right place to do that. And it's also a a place where you can exercise leadership by creating new networks and being supportive. And and I have some writing on myself that I'm doing on the the law of pandemics, how pandemics has changed some of our legal notions. So I'm Working as well as a as the scholar that that I am traditionally,
0: mm-hmm. it's incredible. And of course, uh, the University of Toronto what uh, what an incredible institution. So you've talked about the idea of reinvention, and I I love this. And I think you know when we think about all of us now, we have the opportunity to pursue so many different careers. Let's talk about you as a member of provincial parliament. So that takes courage and a fearlessness. Tell us about that decision because, you know, and and I think when we add on to it as a woman serving as well, there are some additional considerations. So tell us about that thought process and how you chose to decide to serve.
1: Well, it takes um, some courage, as you say, to go into politics. And it certainly was. A big dive for me because I had never been in politics before. I had never been an active member of any political party. But I had spent a lot of time in my life arguing and telling governments what to do because I was an academic and and. Inviting governments to, to do, uh, to change the law at times. I was president of the Law Commission of Canada, which was a law reform body, again, telling government, why don't you do this? And then I was mm-hmm. at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, yes. where we were also uh, uh, pushing governments to do things or telling them, don't do that at all. So at some point, I think I when I was approached, I thought, hmm, I've been a, a little bit of a Backseat driver telling governments what to do. Maybe it's a, a time to um, to go into the fray and try to make my contribution in that in that way. And I I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I I would encourage women to think about politics. It is the ultimate public service in a way because you are there uh, for others. I fell in love with Ottawa venue which was my my constituency, representing the variety of people, their needs, trying to help them accomplish their dreams—it really was very rewarding. And sometimes it was even useful. So, so, uh, <laughs> so, actually, it's a place where you can do a lot, and you can do small things, and you can do big things. And and you are there for for public service to to help
0: others. And so, it's I encourage that thoroughly. So what do you want women to consider? So you're saying, yes, absolutely go for it. It's, you know, the ultimate public service. But, you know, for women in particular, what do they need to keep in mind or, or you know, consider before they put their hand up?
1: Well, you need to have a thick skin. As they say, you need to not take personally the the criticism that, that you will get. I mean, this is a place where people say, Everybody tells you how to do your job if you're in politics, you know, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: every day. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they all think that they would do it better than you. So, so you have to be prepared to be uh, to be criticized. You have to also be prepared to um, accept your limitations. On uh, you know, it's a, it, it, you are in a party, in a political party, so you will be able to play as a team. So sometimes that means putting yourself behind and letting others shine and get the credit. So you have to be able to accept a little bit of a a long-term agenda. So you won't be able to to get all the good ideas that you have in place, uh, but you are working toward you know, the public good and trying to improve uh, things generally for for your constituents and for, in my case, the province of Ontario. So it was. It's a. It's a very busy time. Very rewarding. So you need to to be prepared to uh, to put in the time uh, and 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 the energy that it that it requires. Um, I particularly also like the fact that you are. We are a deliberative democracy, and ideas. Continue to circulate, and you know you want to push them and take opportunities to to talk about this. So it's it's also a very big communication job to be in politics. You know you you are talking to your constituents, uh, you are listening to their concern, but you are very much in, into that domain of uh, of explaining what's going on and and. Uh, It's uh, you're out there constantly, you know, so you don't have much privacy during that time, I have to say.
0: Mm -hmm. And that typically is something that, you know, broadly speaking, that women will say, oh, I'm not sure, you know, that I'm willing to give that all up. But it's so important how you've highlighted the, the ability to make a meaningful contribution and the rewarding feeling that you get back in terms of that service.
1: Yes, and also you can protect yourself. You know, I, I was one that you know I, I turn off my Twitter account at a certain time, and uh, and I go to bed and and I sleep. So I'm I I think you can create uh, portions of your life where you're not in the public eye, but a much larger portion of your time is is being in the public as opposed to inside. So you have to be prepared for that. People are, I would say, in general, very respectful and very, very uh, appreciative. Uh, in general, I mean, the, uh, of of the sacrifices that come with political life. There are some exceptions, but I found, like when I went door to door and um, every week uh, to speak to constituents, well, they they appreciated the 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 work that's involved and the you know the attempt at were being done on their behalf so you treat people with respect
0: and they treat you with respect it's a reciprocal arrangement here Mm -hmm. and it is important i guess too because there can be criticism and as you've highlighted everyone thinks they can do the job better is to keep it in perspective and realize hey we are making change and people do appreciate the efforts
1: yeah and also uh sometimes they're valid criticism and 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 you know you take them and strive, but I think you have to remember that it's not about you. People criticize what you know we're debating ideas. They criticize uh, policies. They disagree with the direction. That's all fine. And you should never think that it's about yourself. Obviously, when you're in the public a lot, uh, um, people expect a lot of women politicians on appearance, and that was the problem for me. I, that's what I find the most difficult is uh, being asked to be in pictures all the time and people telling you, oh, well, you look so tired. <laughs> you should mm-hmm. wear more makeup and so on. So you have to, there, there's a, a sense and I think we, we know that about women in politics that despite all the achievements, we continue to to be seen uh, and to be judged on appearances and that's irritating. Uh, so, uh, but you know, continuing to be positive about this and trying to say, well, uh, it's, uh, it's important for the job that we're doing, you know, if you believe in what you're doing, then you say, okay, well, it comes with a package, you know,
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it is nevertheless frustrating because it's a, it's a separate (laughs) Uh, set of standards that are, you know, applied unevenly. So that absolutely yeah. is frustrating. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's very frustrating. But uh, I think it is evolving. And, and, you know, you can be with other women uh, politicians. There's more and more women in politics. So, you know, there's a movement of support and resistance a little bit there uh, mm-hmm. as, as we continue
0: to be more women in politics. So if I look at your career, and it's such an impressive career, and so many important leadership opportunities, you've been open to pursuing new opportunities. So can you give us some uh, sense of how you've approached it, knowing when to leap into the next exciting opportunity? Do you have a a process that you take? Is it so situational? Like, how does Natalie approach that decision making?
1: Yes, I think... Uh first of all, i I try to accomplish some goals in a, in the one set of circumstances. So if you know I, I was the Dean of the law school, I had the particularly some goals that I wanted to accomplish. They got done more or less, and and I thought, okay, well, once you've accomplished some goals, you have to say, how much more will I give to this institution or was that my, my mission here? You know, was I mm-hmm. the, the person who was going to accomplish this strategic goal for this? So once you've done that, sometimes it's time for someone else to push it even further. So, I think you have to always assess, am I the right person at the right time in this place in this institution? So, uh, so my sense was always, once I've had this feeling that i I've made the contribution that that I wanted to make, and the the next step may be uh, require a different type of talents or uh, I'm a high energy person when, you know, the team starts to be a bit tired. I say, okay, well, I guess it's probably time for me to, to move and, and go and spend <laughs> my energy on another group. So, uh, mm. um, so yeah, so I think it's it's a, a reflection on wanting to, I've always wanted to make the institutions with whom I, I participated or I led or that I was part of just a tad better than the way I found them. And then uh, prepare the succession, you know, to, so because they need to to survive and go further than wh- where you've taken them. So that was a little bit how I would envisage decisions. And then, you know, when people approach you or you you apply to new jobs, well, you have to be excited about it. You know, you have to see yourself yeah. in it. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. otherwise, there's no point. <laughs> so, so you know, try to imagine yourself there. Think about what you're going to contribute there um, and what would be the rewards for you and, and whether it's the right fit for your skill set, but also the uh, lifestyles and so on that, that you're trying to, to continue. So they were different when I had young children. I You know, the choices yeah. were different mm-hmm. than when you, your children are older, for example.
0: Absolutely. So, how about though? Because you know, one of the things we hear often is this idea of you know the role of fear. So, you know, how how were you able to accurately assess the opportunity? You know, instead of saying like, oh, maybe this isn't right for me, you know, you want that sense of a bit of a stretch goal, like I want to be a little bit challenged here. You know, what's your advice for women? Well, I think the first advice is apply, <laughs> because if you don't apply you won't
1: know whether or not, uh, uh, and many jobs we grow into them. The first time I had a a leadership position, I remember that my father was surprised, you know, (laughs) he thought, why why did they select you, you know? So, 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 you know, great vote of confidence, Matt, Uh, but I think it it was more a question of, I went and I knew, that my predecessor had been much more formidable than I would ever would be. Nevertheless, I had a contribution to make. So, you know, and I made it. So I think it's uh, sometimes we have to trust that if you apply and you're selected, then, you know, the the people that selected you thought you had something to do, then you just go at it. So my my sense is... uh, my regrets are only when I did not apply. You know, mm. I applied to many jobs that I did not get. I call that the back of the CV. You know, to have a front uh. of the CV, all the great things. You need to have applied <laughs> to other things that you didn't get, <laughs> and you can't get a front of the CV unless you have a back of the CV. So, you know, you apply, you get interviewed, uh, or not. But when you get interviewed, you learn from that process. So I, I believe that uh, that was the rule for me is to to uh, initially I was obviously I, I uh, needed more encouragement, but I remember the first time that I applied to something that was a little bit beyond my reach. It's because a guy in my class had applied for this. And I said, if he applies, why should I? Why should not I? <laughs> you know? So like, yes. it was a little bit my sense of he has confidence. Why don't I? You know,
0: and then push myself a little bit. To do it. I love that. I, I think sometimes we do need to push ourselves in that regard. And I love, I love this sense of the back of the CV because you know <laughs> yeah. your career is so incredibly impressive. And yet, you know, to hear your continued humility, which I think is also the part of your successful leadership style. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us this, Natalie, how has your leadership style evolved? And certainly if we think about uh, the current situation. And, you know, I had a conversation recently with Trudeau Foundation around different considerations for leaders in times of crisis. Can you give us a sense of that?
1: Yes, I was very fortunate throughout my life that I had really some good advice and some good mentoring. And I remember one of my uh, older colleague, the, the man that I replaced the first time that I got a leadership position, who told me, every day you make 10 mistakes, you know, uh, seven of them nobody knows but yourself, you know, three of them, people notice, you know, uh, two out of the three, you can repair them by apologizing, and the last one, sometimes uh, people will notice you cannot completely repair, and Sometimes it's a small mistake. Sometimes it's a bigger one. You know. So the right. acceptance of uh, the fact that mistakes are are normal, and not to uh, not to dwell on them, apologize, learn from them, but not to get yourself defined by this. Trust the team. I think trust other people's wisdom and and ability. I really like to surround myself and give people some some freedom to be as good uh, better than I am you know like push yeah. your team or support uh, people around you if they do well it's fabulous uh, and the fact that you have allowed them that possibility is is an attribute of leadership as opposed to uh, having lost some some stardom you know it's about uh, mm-hmm. supporting the team and supporting others that's just more efficient too <laughs> so, it is I think trusting your instinct as well is, is uh, you know, and trying to uh, analyze what's what's going on, trying to see a little bit beyond the crisis or beyond seeing things as opportunities for change. So I'm an optimist, you know, I, I believe that, you know, there are some possibilities and it's important to find the possibility of improvement in pretty much any situation.
0: hmm And I love that idea, too, of of taking that longer term vision and realizing whatever the crisis is, eventually, (laughs) it may take longer, but you will come (laughs) out of it and, you know, to keep your eye on that longer term uh, vision. And as you've indicated so clearly, the opportunities that exist amidst the crises is exciting to consider, too, through that optimistic lens. Take us back, Natalie, to your ten-year-old self. Where were you in the world, and what were you interested in?
1: Well, I I was in convent. I was a child who um, who was in a, a religious. Uh, you know, I was in, in the south of Montreal, surrounded by incredible women. The, the nuns at the time, I would say, were probably. The feminist of the time, you know, the, the, the entire mm-hmm. college was run by women. <laughs> it was not mm-hmm. as though the there was a man that was the the director of the college and all the women were teachers. It, indeed, I mean there was a mother superior <laughs> and I thought, wow, that mm-hmm. looks like a pretty good job there. <laughs> 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 so I liked school and I wanted I, th- I wanted to be a writer or a, a teacher of literature at that time I really mm. uh, liked books and eventually I wanted to be a journalist and ended up in, in law school a little bit because uh, my dad thought you know if you could get admitted to law school you should do it and then if you want to be a journalist you can always do that afterwards so but I ended up in, in law school and and really enjoyed it so I worked for Head to Canada for a little bit uh, enjoyed that too. But then opportunities came and I just stayed on the uh, on the legal career path.
0: And nevertheless, as we've indicated, you still have allowed yourself the reinvention and openness to opportunity. So that 10-year-old self still loves literature, <laughs> still loves <the> writing. <laughs> you're, you're doing many of those same things. What about your advice for women to really take their place at the table, you know, speak up and speaking with authority. Certainly you're well known for doing that. What would you like others to think about? Well, first thing is to go to the table.
1: I remember uh, being invited to attend events and some people were telling me, oh, don't go, you're, you're going to be there just to be the token Francophone women, or you're just going to be there, you're going to be a token there. And Mm -hmm. I went partly because I thought, well, I'll learn something in in that group. And I did. Not only did I learn, but if you are at that table, once you're there, even if you're the token person, you can still make yourself heard. You know, you can still speak up with authenticity, saying what you believe. And I remember that, you know, you know, in your career when you're on a certain path and then suddenly other opportunities open. And mm-hmm. I remember that day because I attended that meeting where, indeed, I was a token. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. it's only at the end of the meeting that uh, suddenly uh, one of the, I think it was the premier at the time, came in the room and, and made a statement. And I I had to react. I thought it was wrong. And, and I did. And I said, I think that's a mistake. And I was speaking very much from a position of this is what I believe and I I, I need to say it. And um, obviously people thought this was a a bit uh, much to criticize the premier like this, uh, Mm -hmm. but I I knew that I had to say it. So I did say it. And then, you know, uh, gratefully I was appointed to a committee to advise the premier. I think, you know, the, they recognized that they may have been some kernel of truth in what i was saying and therefore was worth having that perspective around them so and that opened up more possibilities thereafter i remember that day because i remember thinking uh, for myself and for what i believe is a betterment of society i need to say it and i said it politely but i said it so my sense is go to the table and speak uh, with authenticity about what you believe and what you know that's why you're there and and usually i think people will respect that uh, even if they disagree with you
0: and then when you're at the table and you are speaking with authenticity and authority what about effective negotiation strategies cuz you know leading to better outcomes yeah. what what in your view natalie are some practical considerations
1: well i think you have to recognize the people around you that want to move in a certain direction. So, and then uh, accept some compromise. I remember being in a in a group where we had to decide on a course of action, and people disagreed a little bit on the strategy and so on. But if you keep your eyes on the long term goal, then it makes the compromises easier to give, you know, to to agree to because you continue to re-articulate the the goal and the principles surrounding decision making. So I I found that I like to listen to other people's and, and try to figure out where are they? What do they want? What are the principles of their decision making? And often when you do that reflection on other people's thinking, you realize that they're not that different than you are. Uh, so you you bypass a little bit the some of the aggressiveness that can come or some of their strong language of disagreement to recognize, okay, well these are the principles that they want to see validated. Uh oh, we agree on at least two out of three. <laughs> so let's work mm-hmm. on what we agree on, you know. So so I think it demands a lot of, I would say deep listening, you know, uh, listening past the the boisterousness, past the the strong statements to to analyze what's the goal and, and what are
0: the principles to, to get to the goal. Incredibly practical advice. So final question, Natalie, what mm-hmm. is your dream for Canada?
1: Ah, um, I want a more equal society. You know, I, I think we have to uh, really confront racism and sexism and homophobia islamophobia and and i think we certainly need to have a respect profound respect for the indigenous communities of canada so i think i think we need to get there i think we we had this hope in the 80s of with these new constitutional frameworks of uh, becoming a, a society that gave itself the tools to be just, to affect justice, and I worry sometimes that we fell short because we were not bold enough and were were too timid in our wishes for redistribution uh, of income and to take equality seriously. But I think we need to, and I think that allows us as well to to ensure that we have a sustainable
0: future. You know, I would say justice and sustainability are the goal. That's an absolutely beautiful dream for Canada. You've been listening to Natalie Derosier, a brilliant mind and such an important voice in Canada. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Fearless Women podcast. And I hope you will promise to come back again, Natalie.
1: No, for sure. It's wonderful. Thank you very much. It's lovely to to hear you. And I look forward to hear more
0: of The Fearless Women. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe and Apple Podcasts are in your favourite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.